Welcome to the EdTech Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. As artificial intelligence algorithms become more complex and more prevalent, parents and educators must work on preparing today's youth on how to be responsible and savvy digital citizens. Here to talk about the potential effects of AI infiltrating spaces like YouTube and some of the best practices for teaching children how to be safe and responsible online is Edward C., the brain behind Ed on Tech on YouTube and the director of strategy at New Tech. How you doing, Edward? Doing great. Awesome. Happy to hear it. So, Edward, today we're tasked with a pretty big topic. So I thought the best way to open it up would be to just ask you point blank. What are some of the effects AI is having on society? You know, they could be unknowing or knowing. But what are some things that people don't often think about when we think about how AI is penetrating different aspects of our lives? I'm glad you asked, Elmer. This is a topic that I've been thinking about. It's kind of been top of mind for me for some time. And one of the reasons is you see the effects of this every single day on social media. Um, You know, like we've heard about people like Logan Paul. We've heard about the Elsagate videos and even some of the more recent stuff with Alec Jones. It's just uh, these are like side effects that are of what's been happening with the algorithms. And, you know, it's, you see these kind of things uh, also with Elsagate and with Tide Pods, like what, like a lot of people see it and they go, oh, this is really terrible. Like what, what's going on here? You know, the algorithms must be uh, working against us or they must be uh, doing something that, you know, like they, they must be specifically engineered in this particular way. But uh, that's actually not, uh, the case. And I thought maybe a little bit more insight into how the algorithms work and how artificial intelligence works might give some uh, some tools that people can use to protect themselves from these types of uh, issues in the future. Right. And, and you bring up some great examples. I think YouTube is probably one of the most uh, interesting ones just because of how much it fluctuates. It fluctuates based on its ever evolving algorithm and you know, anyone who's used YouTube is familiar with that sidebar, right? And with its recommendations. And I'm sure most people don't really know how those come to be, right? So I think it's it's definitely imperative to to realize and, and learn what this actually means because I don't think, you know, YouTube and, and social media are going to be the end of it, right? I think that's where we're seeing it the most right now. But even just with, you know, cookies and browsers and and other other things tracking you know what your history looks like you're, you're definitely getting targeted ads that that are coming from these kind of algorithms right so I'm glad you mentioned that uh, specifically about YouTube uh, because uh, it was former YouTube engineer and founder of algo transparency Guillaume Cheslot uh, he quote he said uh, to Wired magazine that the recommendations algorithm at YouTube is designed to optimize watch time. And so there's no reason that it would show content that's good for kids. And if it does show content that's good for kids, well, that's just a coincidence. And so really, like what he's saying is like they're they're trying to figure out what keeps people uh, watching longer. And a lot of what we see, uh, this what we call like progressively more extreme content comes from that. Uh, people are watching it because it is extreme and they, they do tend to have much longer watch times. And for an algorithm that really is focused on watch time, this is this is the perfect thing for it, right? Um, it was Ev Williams, he's the co-founder of Twitter, and he now runs Medium. Uh, he said that the trouble with the internet is that the internet rewards extremes. 
So, I mean, say you're driving down the road and you see a car crash. Of course you look. Everybody looks at a car crash. Well, the internet interprets that to mean that people want car crashes. So it tries to give us more of them. And so I find that to be, that's really, uh, this is really interesting because, you know, it's, it's focused on what draws our attention. It has no perception of whether or not that's good or that's bad for society. It just knows that people watch for a long time. And so when the algorithms aren't aware of things like good and bad, uh, I mean, this, this is a type of critical thinking that is very difficult for computers to do. Then we get into the situation where uh, essentially you, you have just whatever causes more watch time or whatever causes people to watch, uh, to focus their attention. Yeah, that man, that car crash analogy is, is simultaneously beautiful because it's so good, but it's so uh, saddening also because, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely the same mentality, right? It's that, that curiosity factor that's going to keep you on YouTube longer, right? And that, and that is their end goal ever since they, you know, they switched up their monetization rules. It, it's interesting, right? You brought up Logan Paul and Elsagate, and, and these are things that I think are came to, to, to the success and, and notoriety they, they got because of the algorithm, but also I think they played into the algorithm, right? Like even Elsagate, it's in the name, right? They, they knew that Frozen and Elsa was the biggest thing. So that's how they, you know, targeted that. And then you see all these characters, these, these characters in, in things that are clearly not for children. So, you know, my, my next question is what can we do to, to like prepare students not only to have responsible digital literacy but also have the digital equivalence of what we would call like street smarts right to know when they're being when an algorithm is playing them or, or when they're being pandered to or marketed to yeah I, I think that you raise a a really good question there um and how how we support that is going to be like there, there's multiple um multiple paths but one thing that i think should be common knowledge is just a little bit about how these algorithms work. So some knowledge about artificial intelligence and some knowledge about what is happening that's causing these, uh, like it's not a person who's making this particular content like the top recommended on YouTube, it's an algorithm. So how that algorithm works, I think should be something that a lot of people know and understand. And so when they see something that's extreme, they're not as surprised uh, by it. So we need a much more informed media, but what it boils down to, especially in education, is just better critical thinking skills. Like these are things that we can teach at a younger age. Um, I have a video on my YouTube channel uh, called Ed on Ed Tech, where I focus on those types of skills. Like how would you teach it at younger ages? Things like real versus fake news. Uh, how do you know that this person is actually being authentic in this versus they're they're being extreme because that w they know that this will generate revenue for them. Uh, so I think that there's there's opportunities to kind of build that skill at a much younger age. Uh, we do simple things like showing them uh, very obviously photoshopped images and showing like what couldn't be real here. If you look at this scene, um, I remember the the National Geographic Big Book of Why has a bunch of these types of images that show this this kind of impossible scene and you have to point out all the things that are are not real so you start developing this skill of detecting fake versus real and i think uh, like to ex no problem uh to expand on a little bit about the logan paul and the elsagate stuff uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about well what's going on you know 
I think in a recent interview that Logan Paul did with Casey Neistat, uh, one thing that he said was one of the reasons like his his personal brand is bringing things to the extreme like he used as kind of an excuse for a lot of his behaviors was that i'm i'm just taking whatever i'm i'm working on or whatever i'm doing to the logical extreme and that, and that's kind of who i am that's my that's my brand and you can kind of see how these extremes are reflected in people's behaviors right so when you see behaviors online it's like it's not the normal mundane stuff that gets people's attention it's the the kind of over the top the extreme you know like just uh it's it's so extreme that nobody else nobody would imagine doing this uh it's people who understand that um that are really becoming the the next generation of influencers uh kind of i i i would coin it as the ai uh generation these are people who they know about the algorithm, they understand how it works and they understand that it rewards extremes. So they, they're all they're doing at the end of the day is trying to give people what they want. And we were talking about ElsaGate. I mean, the scariest thing about ElsaGate isn't necessarily the videos that are produced, but it's the fact that there's a person, you know, behind all of these videos who understands that this is what the algorithm wants. So more and more, like we imagine society as we're just doing things to help other people, like it's people serving people. But we're entering a very interesting time where people are starting to serve the needs of the machines, of the algorithms, right? Like if you just think about ElsaGate, this isn't really necessarily designed to help kids. It's designed to please to uh, please the to please the algorithm so that they can make money precisely right and so what does a society what does our society look like when we're no longer doing things that are for the benefit of society but we're doing things for the benefit of the algorithm and that's the kind of interesting philosophical question about uh this technology and and where we're going and it's one of the reasons why you know, it's like beyond just how do you protect yourself? It's like, oh my gosh, like maybe we need to reflect uh, more broadly and think about where where are things going in our society as a whole? It's something that honestly, it, it keeps me up at night uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. And it, and it really is such an interesting conundrum, right? Because it, it first, I mean, it's not like we definitely need AI, right? But it is, you know, it's just going to be part of life. It's going to be something that we're going to have to learn to use responsibly but you know if youtube is the current battleground in the testing grounds and, and it's entertainment so maybe it's not you know a priority to everyone or, or really as scary as as we might be talking about it but you know to someone who's hesitant what what would you say could be a potential future battleground right where this is taking place and and really becoming a problem what what would you you know say to someone that, that might not really believe that this is a real problem well, certainly we're seeing the the benefits of artificial intelligence in terms of uh, it's automating a lot of tasks that are quite mundane. Uh, for example, looking at every video or sometimes even doing simple mundane tasks like interpreting videos, like adding the, uh, the text to speech. So people are saying stuff and you can actually, people who are hard of hearing can actually see the closed captions uh, generated automatically. I think that we're certainly seeing the benefits of computers at, at that level of scale. And so it, 
I mean, the technology is there and it really is designed uh, like its original concept was to improve people's lives, to save people time. Um, and so it, like that is certainly coming. But I, you mentioned about the battlegrounds of the future. And it, it really is like if you think about social media, I see it as just attention. So it's just wherever people's attention is focused and like every one of them is is pretty similar, but there's this pretty differences. But like if people are using Snapchat or if they're using Instagram or if they're using uh, other algorithms, people are still figuring out ways that they're they're testing. Like it's kind of like scientific experiments that people are doing where they're testing the algorithms. They're trying to figure out what works, what draws attention, uh, and they're using that feedback to to drive not only their posts, but also their behavior in, in real life. And what tends to happen is that type of behavior gets amplified. It gets magnified by the algorithms because then they, they start to send it out. And you start to see the, the impact that these influencers have that have, let's say they, they're the people who have figured out the algorithm. They're the people who understand most what, what the, let's say the, the algorithms are looking for. Like, this is the interesting thing. Like when I was at the VidCon conference, um, last year, um, the one of the YouTube engineers says, well, the algorithm is really just the audience. But after I thought about it more, I, I realized that no, actually, it's it's not the audience. Like this isn't necessarily the algorithm is a separate entity from the audience. Uh, the the algorithm is the computer's interpretation of the audience. And that interpretation doesn't necessarily need to be what's right versus what's wrong. Like it doesn't know. It just knows that a lot of people are watching. So uh, like a watch time algorithm has these fundamental flaws that watch time could be for any reason. It could be because this is really graphic and some somebody sees it and obviously they, they watch for a long time because, wow, you know, this is so different than everything that's out, out there. And so I think that we're we're seeing that this people are seeing the feedback and they're using that feedback to modify their own behavior. And so we, what we get over time is this normalization of the extremes. So what used to be very extreme, like very rare, you wouldn't see it. It's very commonplace nowadays um, to see on YouTube. Uh, so for example, like somebody buying, buying something with like, Completely with pennies, you know, before it'd be like, ah, oh, that's, that's so ridiculous. Maybe it would appear in a newspaper. Uh, but there's a lot of YouTube videos about buying things with pennies now. Uh, and it's just kind of become like a thing because it's like, oh, and now, nowadays people watch, you know, buying, buying stuff with pennies is like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, yeah, that's, that's nothing. Look at this other thing that's more extreme. And so we, we get into this, this mode that thinking that this behavior is normal, that, you know, what we're seeing uh, at least on the screen is is kind of the way the way things are the way society is yeah it it's difficult too because i wonder how much of this also is a, is correlating with maybe the desensitization as more and more things are easily accessible you know i think like you bring up the pennies thing and and that's not something necessarily violent but it's definitely not a, a good use of time for anybody so it it's interesting if if maybe there's a correlation with that, right? With the longer the internet or, or even more specifically something like YouTube's been around, the more people are just digging around for 
the weird obtuse things on there that that the algorithm is is happily feeding them so i wonder how much of that is just you know a, a circle going back and forth but edward my last question for you is you know you gave us that, that great example of, of what we could do you know with you know showing a, a child two different images one heavily photoshopped to to try and teach critical thinking but is there anything else that comes to mind that you know any any tips or tricks for how not only i guess let, let, we can focus on students right how how what else can we do to prepare our students yeah th those are really great questions I, I my approach to it has been uh generally focused on the younger ages uh especially in education because i feel that by the time that people hit secondary uh it's a little bit too late that is um i think studies have shown that in the uk 70% of children like i think 12 to, I think it's 12 to, no, is it like 10, 10 to 13 years of age uh, have social media profiles, even though the minimum age for a lot of social media is 13, they just lie about their age and then they, they have a profile. And so pr pretty much when students get into secondary, um, they're, they're already active in the online world. And so the the encouragement for a lot of uh, teachers is that there's there's good opportunities to build it at younger age. And I have a a son who's five years old and uh, like a younger son who's two. And we go through a number of these exercises kind of fairly regularly. Um, we there are some books out there uh, that teach this type of uh, cyber safety. Um, so one book that I, I I read with my my kid is uh, Dean and Max safe in cyberspace and it talks even about like online bullying it talks about building that relationship of trust between the adult and the child uh, being very important so that they feel comfortable not only talking about what happened during school but also talking about what happened online and the things that they saw and so that type of communication channel i think it's really important to build at the at the younger ages and in addition, uh, recognizing when people are are not kind of behaving, like especially when you see stuff online, I often encourage not just looking at the video, because like let's assume that many kids have already watched the video of say the Logan Paul suicide forest video. Well, it's people's reactions to that. Like the the internet itself is this really powerful community of many different voices and opinions and sometimes you can hear oh look at how this other like what i um i really like the man yuta's uh response to it where he talked about like this is this is how it impacts us this is how, why it's really disrespectful to japanese culture i i really really liked those responses because when you see it you go wow like actions have consequences like kids at the younger age might not be able to know like to, to think abstractly about, oh, you should just, you know, this is how AI works, those kind of things. But they can understand action and reaction. And I think it's important to show the reaction side of, oh, this person said these things online and look what happened. You know, look what the impact was on both this person's channel, uh, but also like the impact that it had on other people. Let's see how other people reacted to it. Um, I, I really like that. I feel like the the the, the community, like I, I myself am a YouTuber and I watch a lot of these these reactions and I find that they're a good barometer for how other people are feeling. 
And so I think it's a good opportunity for both educators and parents to share them with their uh, with their their students or with their with their children. And I often do that myself is I talk about, you know, like this kind of crazy thing happened online and, you know, look at look at the reactions that resulted from it. I think that that's a good way of understanding the real world consequences of some of the stuff that happens online, because we often think of the online world as like, well, we can do whatever we want because it's kind of like this environment without consequences. But when you show like, no, there, there are real world consequences to what people are doing. I, I think that that makes it a lot clearer. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Edward. Before we go, there's one other thing that I, I wanted to touch on, which was just news. Yeah, please. News and fake news in general. So uh, on my channel, I have this talk from Sue Gardner. It's a keynote that she did at the Kai conference. She's the executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation. And she talks a lot about this shift in how we get news these days. And she said, like, when social media became like the primary distribution mechanism for news, uh, what that opened up was like a new business opportunity. Uh, and they found that the emotion that most predictably and consistently drives social sharing turns out to be anger. And the most efficient way to routinize the production of anger uh, was to encourage social sharing was to, by making this hyper-partisan news. So at the beginning, I talked a little bit about Alex Jones and this notion of hyper-partisan news. And like, why is this like, why is this so big on social media? And why did all the like all the different channels had to shut it down in order to to kind of stop it. Well, it's because that is what the algorithms are looking for. Like what Alex Jones is delivering seems to be stuff that is exactly along the lines of what what social media algorithms are looking for. They generate a lot of controversy. Uh, they're very anger driven. You know, people would repost this kind of very angrily about how they don't like it. Um, you know, they don't, they don't know the difference between like and don't like. So, you know, anything that gets attention gets attention. And so it's one of the reasons why he had quite the following on social media. And I think it's also one of the reasons why they decided to shut it down because they, they couldn't shut it down from the algorithm perspective to say, well, you know, find out if the information that Alex Jones is saying is true or not. And then if it's not true, then say like, oh, that violates our policy. They, they had to get some people manually to look at it. And I think that one of the things that we're seeing right now, at least in the social media world, is a lot more human uh, involvement. Both Facebook and YouTube have made commitments to bring in a lot more real people, like people who will be watching uh, the, the news articles that come in. They'll be watching the videos, listening to the podcasts, for example, and using that information to filter out what is real and what is not. And to a certain extent, that's really the only way to do it. It's the, to have that combination of people working with uh, artificial intelligence to get us where we need to be in terms of protecting children, protecting um, people in general online. Yeah, yeah. No, that I, uh, I, I understand why this keeps you up at night. <laughs> it's an interesting topic, but uh, don't get me wrong. Like I 
I love social media. I think it's super powerful as a way to get your message out there. I mean, podcasts like this one, I mean, there's great information online and a lot of learning is being affected by, like I, I say, you know, video is the, the biggest thing that has impacted uh, the world of education. YouTube itself gets, was it like 500 million views of educational videos a day? Um, it gets, you know, it's the third most popular reason why people go to YouTube, like they go to YouTube to learn. Um, so I, I really believe in the power of the technology. I think that there's a good opportunity through like training and learning to uh, be aware of how artificial intelligence works and also be aware of how the algorithms work. So you, so you understand what you're seeing, like, you know, you understand like the things that are put in front of you and why they're put in front of you. And if you have a good understanding on that perspective, I feel like you can pretty much search and find anything. You can still use it as a very powerful tool. Uh, you'll be less kind of duped into the, let's say the fake news or the extremely partisan stuff that uh, tends to bubble up to the top because it's controversial. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, right, I do think, uh, it's important that we have people like you pointing these things out and thinking about them a little bit more, more deeper, deeply, just because, yeah, this is right. You know, and, and just, just to think of where social media has gone in the last decade is, is crazy, right? So who knows what will be a decade from now. So I think it's important that we start thinking about these things now while, you know, they can't, they can only do so much harm. We're building up that that new digital citizenship, right? Like right. we're we're building up like what it means to be uh, a citizen in all of these these different social medias, um, social media systems. And to me, that's that's encouraging. Like it gets us to think potentially a little bit more globally, a little bit more internationally than uh, we we typically need to. We get we get to see the the views of people all around the world. And to me, that's uh, it, like it's good. It's good for discourse. Um, and it, it's just something that we need to think about. Like, it's really changing media. It's really changing news. It's changing how we consume information. Uh, so understanding the impact of that is useful, not only for protecting yourself, but also for the future of work. I mean, employment. I mean, that's going to, I think there'll be a social media component to any future employment. Uh, and even for people themselves, they're, they need to think of themselves as personal brand. Uh, you know, I love the work of like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, he talks about building, building your own personal brand. I think that more and more that's like, if you want to stand out on a search, like a search engines algorithm, for example, on LinkedIn, you better have something unique to provide. You better have something that w would be worth promoting. Uh, and so I think that, you know, those types of skills, those types of communication skills uh, become a lot more important. So I'm encouraged. Like, I think it's, it's a good thing. Like my, myself, uh, looking for employment, having a really strong social media profile made it really easy. Like a lot of employers that I hadn't met before would come up and say, Hey, I think you could do a great job at this. It's like, Oh, I haven't met you before. It's like, yeah, but I checked out your, your social media profile and I, I know you can do good work in this. And so I think that that's, that's increasingly important and it's giving opportunities to people that they might not have otherwise. Right, right. Well, Edward, again, thank you so much. I, I, I seriously appreciate your time, and uh, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad that uh, this is my second time on the, the Market Scale podcast, so I'm glad to be a part of it. And thank you guys so much for the work that you do. Really appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.